I'm surrounded by comedians. <laughs> I've decided everybody's got a joke. I love it. I love it. It is good to be back this morning. Uh, I've missed you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, we, uh, my, my wife and my kids and I, we had a great time away. Uh, I am grateful for the, the time that I had away. I've learned that it takes me a good three weeks to really unwind and uh, detox, not detox, but you know, just kind of let go of everything that's going on in life. And so that is a real gift to me. And so thank you for allowing that to happen. I was able to spend some time up near the Payson area, uh, just reflecting and reading. I spent about a week doing some study. Uh, amazing time. It was cool up there. My family and I were able to go up to the Pacific Northwest for a week. We spent uh, four days in Seattle, and then we went to Bend, Oregon, where my brother-in-law lives, and we had a great time there. And uh, on one of the days that we were in Bend, Oregon, uh, we actually went on this hike around this area called Smith Rock, which if you're ever in the, the Bend, Oregon area, I highly recommend it. It's just north of there. It's really easy to get to. It's beautiful, sort of almost unnatural rock formation near there. And we were walking around this giant rock formation. We're hiking. We're talking. We stopped for a break. And my oldest son broke into an impersonation of this moment right now. And he's like, Dad, you ready to go back? I know what you're going to say. Morning. Good to be back. We had a great time. Thanks to everybody. I was like, dang, man, you just stole the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. And so uh, we had a great time. It was a really good time. And I hope you all enjoyed your time here as well. Huge thanks to DJ and Joe and Pastor Justin Hagee last week. Um, I had a chance to listen to that. And also just a huge thank you to our staff, our leadership team. You know, it's, it's amazing and it is a gift for a pastor to go away and get two texts in three weeks. And the two texts I got were like, what's the password to this, right. right? That is a gift and a testament to the quality of the people that help lead this church. So a huge thank you to them. A huge thank you to them. So, well, as DJ mentioned, yes, we are headed back into the series of Acts. And yes, we've been doing this for a long time. In fact, we started this back in January of 2022. So we're a little over a year and a half into it. Now, we have taken some breaks in there, and that's intentional, but we're getting there. You know, we're, we're headed into chapter 16, and uh, we're getting there. You know, we only got about 12 more chapters to go. So just hang in there. Uh, we're, doing, we're doing great. So just a little bit of a recap. It's been about three weeks since we've been in the book of Acts as to where we have been. The last time we stepped into the book of Acts, we were just starting Acts chapter 16. And Paul and a young man named Timothy come together. And Paul decides, hey, look, Timothy, you got a lot of potential. I want you to become a new sort of follower of me and go with me into whatever is next for us as a church. And so they head out, Paul, Silas, and Tim, to the east, some places where they've been before, to Lystra and Iconium. And in Acts 16.9, Paul then receives this vision, and it says to him, hey, listen, I need you to go to Macedonia. 
this area east of here. Now, they've never been to Macedonia. This is like a new thing to them. And so they head out. Paul, Silas, and little Timmy are about to learn some new things about what it means to follow Jesus and be on mission with you. So if you haven't done so yet, grab your YouVersion app and uh, you can uh, open up that and follow along with everything I'm going to cover here. You can also go to Acts chapter... I'm sorry, there's like a beeping and I'm not sure what it is, but if it's evil to be turned off, that would be awesome. Thank you. All right, good. So Acts chapter 16 and we're going to be starting in verse 11. Okay, y'all ready? Okay, five of you. Great. Let's go. Here we go. All right. So chapter 16, verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. Now, I realize like some of those words and places, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea where that is. So let me just bring up a little map. It'll show you a little bit as to where Paul has been. Can we bring up that map? There we go. So if you look to the right-hand side of the map, you'll notice that they have be, they've moved up to Antioch into Iconium and Lystra, kind of the center of the map. They've now moved to the far east side of, of Galatia, Phrygia into Troas, right there on the Aegean Sea. And they've taken a boat through Samothrace and into Neapolis. And now they're going to head inland to a very famous city within the, uh, the, the Bible called Philippi. So if you know where that is, you can see it there at the top left-hand corner. All right, so here we go. They're in Philippi. They're in modern-day Greece now, which is new for them. They've never been there before. This is new for Paul. And the area of Macedonia is heavily influenced by Greek culture, philosophy, and life, and all of which is fairly new to these three Jewish men traveling there. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside to the riverbank, city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who'd gathered there. Now listen, typically... When Paul would go to a new city, he would go to the local synagogue or the local temple. But in Philippi, predominantly Greek, there is no local synagogue and there is no local temple. So he hears, hey, there's some people, you know, worshiping God and praying near the riverbank. So Paul, okay, that's where we're going to go. We're going to start there. So they head down to the riverbank. And as they do, he meets the first of two women in the passage we're reading today. Verse 14, uh, one of them at the riverbank was Lydia of the Theatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Lydia, in this passage, is no slouch. This is a well-respected woman with great means. The text tells us she was a merchant of expensive purple cloth. She has a home of her own, so big that she can invite these three men to come and to dine with her and to stay with her. And because of her great means, she wasn't necessarily the kind of person that Paul and Silas and now Timothy were used to running into. And yet, there's something about Lydia that 
brings these men to share the gospel with her. And as, as Luke says, as she hears the gospel for the first time, she accepts Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And in addition, it says that her entire household, we don't know how many, let's just say four, let's say six, okay? Let's just say six, get baptized. They too become believers. She invites Paul and his companions to house, to her house to dine and stay. With, it's this huge celebration of what she's heard and seen, this new life that she's gained through Jesus Christ. And the story Luke tells is a powerful example of what can happen in a person's life when they hear the story and name of Jesus. This still happens today. People are searching for answers. And at times when we step in and we tell them the name and the story of Jesus, they too will receive and accept it and experience new life. It's why we exist, church, to share that story, to exalt that name. God opens her heart and she receives forgiveness and new life through Jesus. It's a victory for God's kingdom in Macedonia, this new place. God is at work already. Paul and Silas and Timothy, I can only imagine they are riding high on what God did in the lives of Lydia and her family. They're riding high on the fact that they obeyed God's word and now they're where they're supposed to be and they share the good news of Jesus and they see this result of this woman come to faith. The smiles on their faces. You can just imagine. But then, days later, in the same spot they meet a second woman. Verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they've come to tell you how to be saved. Now, I can only imagine what this scene must have been like for Paul and his companions as they traveled to this familiar place that they have now in Macedonia. They're, they're chatting about their days, you know, they're catching up on, hey, this happened yesterday and ran into this person. And as they're doing it, they're just chatting away. This demon-possessed woman is screaming at them, right? Imagine the scene. Luke doesn't say exactly what happened, but he says what he says next indicates that they have, must have tried to ignore her and go about her business. It seems like, hey, look, this is, you know what? It's out of the ordinary. We love people. We do, you know what? Like, we're not going to make a big deal out of this. We just need to get to where we're supposed to go. And this keeps happening, and this woman just keeps screaming at them. These are men who serve the most high God, and they're going to tell you how to be saved. And it's just, you know, like day after day after, day. And then Paul, who's not known for his unending patience, by the way, he eventually has enough. And in verse 18, this is what happened. It says, this went on day after day, woman just screaming at them until Paul got so exasperated, he'd had enough that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. I got to say, if I knew that if someone was screaming at me day after day, that I could just say, demon, come out of that person, I would have done it much sooner, wouldn't you? 
Why did he let it go on day after day after day? I mean, it gets to the, he gets to the end of the rope with this woman, and then he finally says these words to her. Can you imagine Paul here, right? Walking to this place of prayer with the woman screaming at them again, and his patient breaks. He cuts off the conversation he's having with Timothy or Silas and says one sentence to this woman. He tells the demon in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and it miraculously does. And the woman in that moment is freed, and she too is given a brand new lease on life. Now, we're not exactly sure what happens to the woman, but I have to imagine she was in shock and wanted to know more. Like, what just happened to me? But the biggest thing that happens is that Paul and Silas and Timothy they don't have to listen to her anymore, right? Such relief to them. But here's the thing. The new life that the woman receives, it is not going to be met with the same results as it did with Lydia. Look at verse 19. Her, the, the demon-possessed woman, now freed, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So let's go back. In verse 16, Luke records that this woman had psychic powers because of this demon inside her. And Luke actually confirms it was a real deal, which by the way, if there's any doubt, if psychic powers are and can be real, the Bible seems to indicate that they can. They're just not from God. Be really careful with that. They're just not from God. And when you can tell someone the future, listen, if I could tell you the future, man, that is a cash cow, right? If I can tell you what's going to happen next, you'll pay me a lot of money to get that information. And these men have taken advantage of this woman and they're making hand over fist over what she can do. And what happens to people when you take away their financial resources? They get a little mad. They get a little upset, which is exactly what happens here. When the demon leaves this woman, she becomes free. But these men become broke and they're not happy about it. So they drag Paul and Silas before some city officials. They accuse them of teaching some things that are anti-Roman. And the authorities and the Romans in the city are not pleased with the accusation. And they decide to take quick action against Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And here's what it says in verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. And I only imagine Silas was like, you just couldn't keep your mouth shut, could you, Paul? You just couldn't keep your mouth shut. You know, I read this passage, I'm like, what gives, man? What is going on? In the first part of the passage, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they share the name of Jesus with a woman and it leads to her and her family's salvation. And not to mention, Paul and his friends are then able to get a home-cooked meal and soft bed to sleep in. I mean, this is, this is as good as it gets. 
And then days later, they share the same name of Jesus with another woman, and it leads them to being beaten, thrown in prison, and clamped to the ground. How, how does something like that happen? Have you ever had this happen to you before? Like, you do something, and the results are one way, and then you do the same thing, and the results are completely different? And you're like, I don't understand. I did it one time. It worked great. I did it this time. Now I'm in prison. I don't understand. Hopefully that didn't happen to you. But you, know, you get the gist. And this can especially be the case when it comes to sharing your faith. It can really be the case when it comes to following Jesus, living out the mission he's called us to. You share your story and talk about Jesus with one person. And they'll nod and they'll listen. They might even take a step of faith in that conversation. And you tell that same story and talk about Jesus with another person and they'll mock you, ignore you, or completely reject you. And here's the deal. I wish I could tell you that when you start to follow Jesus and have a life of obedience to him, that every day will be like Paul and Lydia's encounter. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could tell you that every person you share Jesus with is going to be wide-eyed and eager to hear more. I wish I could tell you that by applying the instructions of the Christian life, you will only lead an easy, comfortable life. I wish I could tell you that. But there are no guarantees with any of that. There is no guarantee that when you share Jesus with a friend or a coworker or an acquaintance that they're going to receive it like Lydia did. There's no guarantee that when you choose to be obedient to Jesus that you're going to get the exact results you hoped for. And there are no guarantees that by living the Christian life you will only experience ease and comfort. In fact... The only guarantee you're really given in the scriptures is that you will experience the opposite. There will be suffering. There will be difficulty. There will be hardship. You know, Paul and his companions are well aware of this by this point. In fact, they have gotten so used to the come what may mindset they're holding on to it tightly in their work. I suppose after you've been beaten, you know, nearly stoned to death, thrown in prison multiple times, hated by so many, you realize this truth that the results belong to God. And I'll be very honest, I do not like that <laughs> statement. Because I like to think that I have control of the results in my life. I want to have control of the results in my life, right? I like to think that if I do A and then I do B, that it's going to equal C. But following Jesus and being faithful to the calling he has on your life is not algebra. The equations don't always end up the same. Sometimes maybe it'll end up A plus B equals C, but sometimes it'll be A plus B equals Q. And you won't like Q. You want to go back to B, or C, or D, but Q is way too further in the alphabet, and that's scary. The results belong to God. It's for him to decide what will happen next, which then begs the question, well, where does that leave us? Like, what, is, what, what control, what responsibility then do we have? And I can only think of Proverbs 19.21, which is, it says, you can make many plans, do it, 
But remember, the Lord's purpose will prevail. So where do we fit in with this? Is God, is, you know, his, this whole thing that God is ultimately responsible for the results and our purpose for our planning and work? Well, let me just first say that while I'm not always excited about some of the results and some of the results that could be when you follow Jesus, I am eternally grateful God is in control of them. I mean, imagine, just imagine, if we somehow had complete control or influence on the results of our every decision. Imagine what would happen to this world. What might happen to this world if we could determine the results of every decision we make? I think we'd all be dead. That'd probably be what it would be. We would have destroyed the earth long ago. Secondly, I actually think that the results belong to God relieves a lot of pressure on us. In other words, if things don't work out how you thought, that's on God, right? That's on God. You know, one of my you know, pastors that I've followed before, he once said, look, that's his problem, not yours. If the results aren't what you thought they were, that's God's problem. That's not your problem. It relieves this sort of pressure. In fact, you could say it is an act of grace that the results belong to God, especially when we hear promises that God speaks of in correspondence with his results, like in Jeremiah 29, 11. You know this passage, right? For I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and I hope. He gives us a promise that says, look, the results belong to me, but trust me, they're for your own good. So rest in my grace. It's an act of grace on God's part to say, I got this. I got this. You don't have to feel responsible for all of the results. I'll take care of that. But it does bring us back to the question, where do we fit in all of this? Because you kind of got to go, well, then what's the point? Right? Like if God is already in control of everything, then what, what good do I have in this world? Well, the tell of these two women in Acts 16 should remind us that our responsibility is not to try and manipulate and control the results. After all, we don't really have any control over them anyway. And said, we've been called and commissioned to only focus on one thing. And I love how it says it in 1 Samuel 12, 24. It says, be, be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. And think of all the wonderful things he's done for you. Look, in other words, the results may belong to God, but God has handed us responsibility. And he says, this is what belongs to you. And the first thing is a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, I know we don't like the word fear, like fearing God, but let's be honest. That breath you're breathing, that's God. You know, the clothes they're wearing, that's God. Like he's got it. He, everything we see, touch, and hear, that's God. There's, there ought to be a, a sense of reverence for who God is and the power that he possesses to keep this ship running, to involve us in whatever is going on in the world. In this fearing God, it's an act of worship on our part to say, you genuinely do have this whole world in your hands. You do have the results already in mind. 
It's a recognition that we truly aren't in control of all the results and that we're in need of something outside of ourselves to truly save us and heal us and guide us. So Samuel says, look, start here with a healthy fear of the Lord. Second, he says, be faithful in your service to God. Show faithful service to God. You know, faithfulness is the true mark of a Christian. As James says, we don't just hear God's word and then walk away. We actually put it into practice. We actually do something with it. We're to be faithful with, with, with what he has asked of us and what he is calling us to do. And then lastly, Samuel says, we're to be remembering all that he has done. It's so easy to get tunnel vision, isn't it, in life? And to forget all that has happened in our lives, to forget all of the results and all of the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past. You know, it would have been really easy for Paul to only focus on what was happening in the moment as they were beaten and thrown into jail. But Paul knows better. Look, I don't, Paul, I don't have control over these results, but I know what God does. And I know who God is. And I know how faithful he's been in the past. And so I'm going to trust that. He knows everything God has done for him. He remembers all the ways that God has been faithful and gracious and kind to him in his past. It's my, it's my assessment and it's my guess that you are hoping for some results in your life right now. You are praying and hoping for something to happen. And I don't know what that's for. You're, you're, you're hoping and praying for, for a good diagnosis. You're hoping to get the promotion. You're hoping for the marriage to be healed. You're hoping for your son or daughter to come back to you. You're hoping that your friend will text you back. You're hoping for you fill in the blank, but I know that you are hoping and praying for something to happen in your life. And you are hoping and praying for the results. And I want you to change your prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying for results, but instead to focus on what belongs to you. To pray, maybe the prayer isn't, God, would you give me that promotion? But maybe the prayer is that, God, when I live my life, may I be an example of what it means to fear you. May I faithfully serve you. May I remember all that you have done and whatever the results might be, may I remain in that. Maybe that should be our prayer from now on. When we understand that God is in control of the results and that he's sovereign over that, he's going to do what's best for you. You are his child. That maybe our prayer, in addition to, here's what I'm hoping for, should also be, and by the way, God, I realize that the results belong to you, so may I remain faithful in all of it. What you've been called to do is to have a healthy fear and reverence of him, to faithfully serve and follow him, and to remember all that he's done, and to trust that whatever results may come, they are from your heavenly Father. And he will do what is best for you and for this world and for the mission that he's called us on. You'll stop focusing so much on results. You'll start to focus more on the process and the faithfulness of your life. You'll begin to see that your faithfulness is the point. 
that your relationship with God and fully trusting him is ultimately all that truly matters. The results will vary, but that will never change. The end goal is to not get you all of the things that you're hoping for, but instead for you to have a dynamic, faithful relationship with your creator. You know, I want to leave you with the words of Jesus as he commissions the first followers in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you notice that he doesn't, re- he doesn't say any results in this statement? He doesn't say, hey, by the way, you're going to go and you're going to do all of these things. You're going to baptize 847 people. He doesn't say that. He says, I just want you to go and do the things that I've called you to do. Leave the results up to me. But remember this. I am with you always. I have your best intentions in mind. My purpose will prevail, but it will be the best for you. It will be the best for this world, and it will be the best for this mission. So trust that. Be reminded of all that I have done in the past, and go and be faithful. Build a new relationship with me. Give all that you have to the mission that I've called you to. And watch as I work in the world in mysterious and unknown ways. May your eyes and your ears be wowed by what I can do when you fully trust the results that are in my hands. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the chance to look to your word again. I've admitted it, but I'll say it again. I need some work in my own life. God, I I know that this is true. I know that the results belong to you, that you've called me to a faithful life. But I'll be honest, I don't always like it. And so I just pray, God, that you would just stir in me a new understanding, a new dynamic of what it means to be a faithful follower of you. Lord, I know there's people in here, all of us, we're hoping for one thing or another. God, we're just praying and we're crying out to you and you call us to do that and there's nothing wrong with it. I just pray, God, that in that moment that we would be reminded of how good you've been to us and that also we would be reminded that ultimately the result of whatever prayer we have for you belongs to you and that what belongs to us is just a faithful life. And God, that we would, as we pray for what we're hoping for, that we would also pray, God, may we remain faithful come what may. Lord, thank you for the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy as they walked into these two encounters with these two women, two totally different stories. Thank you for their resilience, their endurance, their confidence in you. May we be people that exhibit the same resilience and confidence. Lord, we look to you to give us the faith that we need this morning to live the life that you've called us to live, to trust the results, come what may. God, you would do a new thing in our hearts as a result of it, that you would change us, that we would be able to make an impact in the world that we never even imagined possible. Thank you for Jesus. 
who calls you to, calls us to this life, who gives us a new lease on life like he did for Lydia and the woman possessed by the demon. Thank you for the freedom that comes in him. Give us faith to walk in step with him. It's in your name we pray. Amen.